Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning. So often uh, Joel uh, disagrees with me, but he's gonna have trouble this time because I'm sitting in this seat here. And when we sit in the seat, we sit as Buddha. And I thought Dharma talks came um, from someplace else, but they actually come from this seat, which is very interesting. And not only one Dharma talk, but each sitting period, you get a different Dharma talk. And um, so this is all going to be about joy, but many different sides of joy. But it was really interesting how I thought I had it all written out yesterday, but how it all came um, today. So when Heather uh, said, you know, that she came to hear the talk, I said, there's actually going to be three talks. Yeah, I see someone wants to be admitted. My old friend. So, uh, Peg talked about a peach the other day and a ripe peach. And there's certainly different ways we can see the ripe peach. From our self-centered self, we can see it as just ready to eat, just ready to be delicious. And from the peach's viewpoint, we see uh, kind of an end of life thing. And um, so those thoughts came to me as I was sitting. Um, many years ago, I think it was about 1983 or 84, I was at an auction for a Montessori school in Chicago that my kids went to. And I bid on uh, psychotherapy and it was uh, $5 for the psychologist and $10 for the psychiatrist. And I got both. <laughs> and I, and, and uh, I ended up going to the psychologist for a while. And he gave me a book on reframing. And I thought that was the key. That was like, that, that was a key toward being happy. That you would just take a situation, whatever it is, like your house burns down so you don't have to do spring cleaning. You know, you, and you reframe it, right? And then you're happy. And that was the first sitting period and it was so good. And I was going to have my talk be called reframing because it's a great parlor trick. And then I remembered about maybe 10, 20 years later, my sister who was a psychoanalyst told me that she had just read an article that was very interesting. And it was about how when we make a choice, the thing we don't choose, we grieve for. So for example, I moved to Austin and I thought, oh, this is great. You know, we're within a few miles, a mile actually of um, the Zen Center. And my wife's a mile from where she was gonna be teaching pottery. And we were near my daughter and, you know, all these positive things and we were so happy. But lingering in my mind, oh, this is the second sitting period. 
lingering in my mind is this other bit, which is, oh no, we left behind um, this beautiful acre and a half and 6,000 square feet of studio space and, and house. And, and um, I think my wife had about eight gardens in this acre and a half. And it was so beautiful and it was so wonderful. And we had set it up for the rest of our life. You know, and so there's that grieving there. And um, so anyway, that was the second sitting period. And then the third sitting period, I returned to the koan that I was working on since January, where Buddha holds up a flower and Kashyapa smiles. And about three years ago, I read a Jack Cornfield essay on this koan. And it finally started to make sense to me in the third sitting period today. And that is that um, it wasn't just that he was smiling at the beauty of the flower, nor was he smiling at the fact that the flower was, um, you know, at the next stage for the flower wasn't so pretty, but it was the whole business. And so as we, um, look at getting joy at with um, life as it is, I think it's not a matter of reframing, but it's a matter of looking at the whole business and really appreciating that. And that's not quite as easy. So um, Anne Heinemann sent me an article this morning and I'd like to read it. You know, and my first thought when I read it was that I would claim it as my own. And I had a, I had a student once who um, turned in a wonderful paper and I looked it up on the internet and found it on the internet and I confronted with him with it. And he was a compulsive liar. He was really, uh, every word out of his mouth was a lie. He had written all of Elvis Presley's songs. You know, it just went on and on and on, and it was nonstop. And then I, he came back 10 years later, and he was the same way. But anyway, so I said, so you got this thing you wrote from the internet? He said, no, 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 no. I worked for that company, and I wrote it when I worked for them, and then they signed their name to it. So there was always a story. So I was going to sign my name to this, but, but I didn't write it. It's called The Body of Joy. In the recent immersion on the five bodily sheaths, the anatomy of the koshas, it became apparent how difficult it is for people to embody joy. An underlying fear of joy and delight plagues much of the population. This sounds paradoxical. How can you be afraid of joy? And I, I, I sent this talk to Ellen, who's in another thing and is going to be late, and she said, why do we need to give permission to, to have joy? And I think that's a great question. So maybe someone has an answer for her. An underlining fear of joy and delight plagues much of the population. This sounds paradoxical. How can you be afraid of joy? So many of us have a history of being reprimanded and squelched for being playful, wild, sensuous, capricious. And, and then uh, Maria and I have a little signal. So she's supposed to show a picture now. We'll see. 
There you go. The sheath of joy called the Ananda Kosha or the body of bliss is characterized by playfulness, laughter, human, and a carefree attitude. This is the heart of the child. All too often, the fun-loving spirit of the child is put down for being too rambunctious, dreamy, or exuberant. Adults who hold strict to house rules and clergymen adhering to their doctrine deny the heart of the child. Rigidity snuffs out the flame of lightheartedness, joy, and play. Play is the very opposite of control. Play by necessity involves mischief, foolery, and abandon. Impulse doesn't follow rules. Creativity can be absent-minded and a fun-loving spirit, unpredictable. It is not possible to embody joy if one is shackled to control. In spiritual circles, People equate enlightenment with placidity, but the body of joy shows up as the silly, the nonsensical, the crazy. Are there moments in your home when you get to be kooky, comical, and downright ridiculous? In our family, we have regular romps in the kitchen where we poke fun at the dog, the weather, the food, the pandemic, the lack of gun laws in America, you name it. When the spirit of silly is let loose, Nothing is off limits. This is crazy wisdom. Play reminds us that at some level, everything is made up and that life is an improvisation. Play gets us back to lightheartedness, the comical, serapidity and stupidity so that we can live not by restriction and rule, but by a spirit of sympathetic joy. So uh, first, a disclosure. My grandkids used to call me Grandpa No Fun. I hardly ever take a vacation, and the food I eat is about as boring as it could be. I just want to make pictures. This has been my joy. But I do try to make my, my wife laugh every night before we go to sleep. Sometimes it takes a little work. And the other night, I told her that we can't go to sleep because she hadn't laughed. Oh, yes, I did, she replied. Way back in high school, my girlfriend's father, an Episcopalian priest, talked about how we had to find a new way to celebrate life. Those were the best of times. We were taught that if we work hard and play our cards right, we'd win. My mother was obsessed with food. She didn't live that long either. In the end, she was depressed, maybe from the failure of her theory that all you need to do is to be psychoanalyzed by her and then repair your broken parts and then you'd be fine. Her half-sister, Reggie, had all, a wonderful doctor husband who was the head of radiology at Stanford, a beautiful house in Palo Alto, three perfect sons. And then it was discovered that one son had an illness that meant he would have to be institutionalized for the rest of his life. 
If that wasn't enough, she had breast cancer and a botched surgery that permanently disabled one arm and a shoulder. Once my wife and I were walking from her swimming pool to her house and we passed some flowers growing in her garden. She went ape. I was actually embarrassed both at her excitement and at her, at her inability to share her, at my inability to share her appreciation. Imagine how others in the restaurant felt when Meg Ryan faked her orgasm in when Harry met Sally, though Reggie was not faking anything. How could one feel such joy when in the midst of such devastation? And so we have a kind of devastation now in many ways and um, also such joy. My first talks at the beginning of the year were about Kashapa smiling when Buddha held up the flower. As hard as I tried, there were many aspects of this koan that I didn't touch. Buddha didn't only hold up a flower, he was surrounded by flowers and he was surrounded by spiritual friends and disciples. What better word for joy than a flower being held up instead of the words of a pedantic Dharma talk. And what an appropriate response by Kashapa when he smiled. So where I was uh, before I sat in the seat was the Kashapa smiled because the flower was so beautiful. And, and that's not actually uh, where I am at this moment. Now we are in the worst of times, maybe not really the worst, but the seas are not sweet sailing. Oh, I think it's smooth sailing, isn't it? Over 5 million have died from COVID and that number keeps rising. Our country is torn in half without any signs that it will come together in the near future. We almost lived through a presidency like no other. And uh, Ellen uh, questioned that. And, uh, you know, but my thought is just simply that the pres his presidency, the last one is still continuing. We have not cared for our planet. Islands of waste float in the ocean. Every day, up to 150 species die. Did we see the second picture? No. This isn't the 150 species dying, but if you, it, it started out um, with chaotic, stuff and then words explaining all the chaos and then finding some order and then all these smiling faces. And um, I think it was Joel who mentioned, he, yeah, it was Joel that mentioned the other day about an astronomer who uh, said that the earth was plunging into the sun. And um, I keep thinking of these as kind of outer space images. Oh, Kim, I'm sorry, but there's a there's a there's a semicolon there, and then the oh oh yes yes it's plunging into the sun, and because of this uh, motion, the centrifugal motion, right? It it doesn't just plunge. misses. It just over misses, just misses over and over again. So so uh, we're very fortunate in that regard. If that's not enough, we are in death row with a guarantee that there will be no pardons. And yet Reggie went ape when she saw the flowers. 
And yet we can choose joy as an appropriate response to these and even worse times. And with this sitting here this morning, what really came to me is we don't want to do the parlor trick where we just reframe And uh, did, did I mention that the psychiatrist, the psychologist gave me a book on reframing? Yeah, so we don't wanna do that. That's, that's pretty easy. And especially if you've lived with a, a really bright um, lawyer, as I grew up with, um, you, you get great at rationalizing whatever happens, but that's not what this practice is about, this reframing. There's something that we can do with life as it is. And, and that's what I, I want to kind of investigate more. We discovered a vaccine for one of our current pandemics, but we need joy too as a second vaccine. Life will rarely be just as, we, as we'd like it to be, and then only for a moment but we could have PT, the poly word for joy or rapture, which counteracts ill will. It's P-I-T-I -I, and it's a long I. And um, in Zen writing, we had someone introduce, um, um, she's here today, she introduced um, haikus and she talked about the difference between a sound and a syllable. And PT is actually two sounds, but one syllable. And I found a place on the web where it, it told you how to pronounce it. And it was so close, like peach. You could hardly even hear the I. Um, it, was, it was very interesting, but very hard to do. Piti is also one of the seven factors of awakening. The others are mindfulness, investigation of the nature of reality, energy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. So joy is so important there. In the Samyutta Nikaya fire discourse, the Buddha identifies that mindfulness is always useful. While when one's mind is sluggish, one should develop the enlightenment factors of investigation energy and joy. And when one's mind is excited, one should develop the enlightenment factors of tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Again, according to the Samyutta Nikaya, once when the Buddha was gravely ill, he asked the vulnerable Mahakunda to recite the seven factors of enlightenment to him. In such a way, the Buddha was cured of his illness. We do need permission to feel joy. 70,000 monks didn't have it when Buddha held up the flower. We have a culture that suggests that joy comes from possessing things we don't have, like mink coats, diamonds that are forever, and idyllic vacations. But in the end, joy is a mental activity. And um, what this, uh, seat is saying is it's uh, much more than that. Reggie, oh, and I wanted to say we have a thing, not one, not two. And 
I think that's really important in terms of how we deal with life as it is, where if we just say, oh, this is beautiful that my house burnt down. It's not that if we say, oh, I'm so sad my house burnt down, but it's being able to hold both and appreciate just this, this really beautiful, intricate life that we live that's so great. Reggie created joy seeing her flowers. I, with many failed years of art training, did not. And now we're going to do a meditation for awakening joy. So I assume everyone wants to awaken joy. Sit quietly in a relaxed posture. So when I pause, try to uh, embody what you've heard. You know, so you can say, I'm sitting in a relaxed posture, but try to feel relaxed. Take it to heart. Take a deep breath and feel that relaxation throughout your body. Focus on your heart center. Notice how that might affect your entire body. As you inhale, visualize breathing in benevolent energy from all around you. Inhale the benevolent energy as it moves lovingly through your body. With each exhalation, allow any negativity to be released. Reflect on a person or situation in your life you're grateful for. Begin with the phrase, I'm grateful to or I'm grateful for. Invite into your awareness an image of that person or situation. Fully experience your gratitude, taking time to feel in your body the energy of that blessing in your life. Take a moment to silently send a thought of appreciation to that person or that situation. And with the intention to express your gratitude directly to those who've come to mind. Notice the feeling of well-being as the meditation ends. As an experiment, do this as a daily gratitude practice for a week and notice its benefits. Uh, thanks to Jane Baraz for this meditation and some ideas for this talk.
and my wife uh, sent me this picture uh, taken in our living room, which is very much like the dancing kids. It's a, I think we think Chinese um, statue that we have. Can you read the text? I will read the text, yes. Live in joy, in love, even among those who hate. Live in joy, in health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy, in peace, even among the troubled. Look within, be still, free from fear and attachment. Know the sweet joy of the way. And that's um, the Buddha from the Dhammapada, Thomas Byram, translator. And now what I'd like to do is go into breakout rooms in groups of three and take um, about five minutes each to describe how you find joy or plan to find joy in your life as it is. Next week, Nicole from London is here and she's going to be talking with Anne. Uh, it's going to be a very beautiful discussion. She's an extraordinary person and um, she just came by Alpamata yesterday and I was just leaving and I would have left, but I double checked the door to see if it was locked. And in the meantime, she walks up and had never been to Apamata and she was so glad to, to see this place. And uh, so she and Anne are going to do a talk next week and it will be like, she's had some major um, um, uh, challenges and it's going to be kind of how to find joy in life as it is part two or three or four or five, whatever. But I'm not hearing too many people. Uh, Claudine's just raised a hand and would like oh, yeah, to speak. Yeah, if you could call on people, that would be great. Where are you, Claudine? Oh, there you are. But you, you're muted. Sure. Right, you're unmuted now, Claudine. Oh, thank you. Well, I thank you so much, Kim, because you reminded me of of something that a therapist had told me before, and I'm sorry because English is not my language, as you know, I'm trying my best. And what he said was, joy was like a river in us, a deep river that we don't see most of the time because it is covered with sadness, anger, fears, all this stuff. But it is always in us. and. I made suddenly the link with Buddhism and as Buddha is always inside of us, behind our conditioning and all this stuff. But suddenly I had the feeling that the joy was us, not depending of what comes in life. And we can find it 
inside of us always. And I wanted to share that with you. That's it. I have a question for Judith because Judith has um, been teaching about this. What do you call it? The last stage of life? You're, you're muted. I can unmute that. Um, I've been teaching something called saging for the last 25 years, which is conscious aging. And uh, some of you, uh, well, everybody's aging from the time you're born, of course. Some of you may not qualify for the uh, AARP or anything like that. But uh, a good deal of conscious aging is, is uh, joy. We are so glad we've made it this so far, so far. And that doesn't matter what age you are. Uh, we've made it this far and uh, we're going to keep going. And uh, there's, a, there's a stage in life, I can get academic about this, but I won't. There's a stage in life uh, which uh, is called uh, gerotranscendence, which is when we can face death without fear or with very little fear. And we can look back on our lives and realize that the bad things that happened to us in life were catalysts for the good things that happened in our life. And uh, it's wonderful. And uh, since you've asked me, Kim, I'll give the commercial. It's saging.org and it's S-A-G-E dash I-N-G. And we have speakers from all over the world and from all traditions, including Buddhism. And uh, it's, it's made my heart sing for the last 25 years. And I have spoken. Yeah, I took a workshop with Judith and also she was part of a meditation group we had at the Jewish temple for a long time. Um, what, and what age are people happiest? Is it 60 or 70, something like that? Uh, well, that, yeah, one of the myths of aging is that people are unhappy when they get old. But if you do your work, and certainly participating in, in Buddhist practices is part of a good deal of doing your work, uh, the, we lose a lot of the fear of, of what's going to happen next. And uh, it, um, so I would say probably it starts around 70. So I don't know if any of you qualify at all. I've qualified for quite a long time. Who else is aging? Oh, I'm aging. aging. <laughs> I'd just like to say that um, I'd just like to comment on uh, when you said about holding two things together, you know, the, the joy and the intensity. And, it, and I shared it in my group. I just remembered a time when I was talking to my niece and it was a really intense thing. Something really tragic had happened to her. And it, it was it was a very, very serious conversation and time we were having together. And then I just uh, I just looked at her and very seriously and said, you know, what is it you need right now? You know, what is it you really need? And she just went a chicken wrap. And we just burst into laughter and laughed and laughed and laughed and and it was just that real holding that intensity and the joy that are side by side you know it's always accessible it's there somewhere 
and I love how we can just we can actively seek joy you know we can actively seek you know some trees or you know like playing with the dog you know and throwing the ball or you know seeing a lovely flower we can actively bring joy and and seek those experiences out and and yeah I love our capacity to hold the intensity and the joy side by side and how we can actually um, nurture that we can develop that as well and our capacity for that through the practice through sitting you know and just through um activities you know we could we can increase our capacity for that so yeah thank you for reminding me of of that time with my niece which is is a like an intense time but it's a real we do at, very often comment on that the chicken wrap you know we just say chicken wrap to each other and we laugh again you know, it's like a code word now. <laughs> Thank you. If you look at the little screenshot uh, thumbnail uh, with my wife's um, frame, I don't know if you can see it, but that's my grandsons who called me grandpa, no fun. And they're playing in the snow. Uh, so uh, Starlet, who's a champion of this joy business. <laughs> She's, well, my, she's my best teacher. Go on. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. I'm humbled by, by you saying that. Um, I want to share how I start my days because I started with joy because of a technical issue. It turns out that because I'm disabled, I move slowly. And when somebody comes, I don't like to have them waiting for long. So I set up my camera outside to have motion detector and that when it detects motion to ring the bell automatically. That way it gives me more time to make it to the door. So I've been having an issue. Every morning, the doorbell will ring and nobody would be there. And I couldn't figure out what was happening. So I realized that I have a bougainvillea with very long stems. So I thought, oh, so they move, the camera detects the motion, it rings the doorbell. It turns out that even when there was no wind, the doorbell still rung. And the only time that it would not ring, it would be when it was cloudy. So it turns out that the culprit was the sun. Every morning, the sun rings my doorbell and comes and invites me to start the day. It's saying, it's such a beautiful sunny day. Come on, let's do this. And the thing is that I have taking photos from the camera outside. And um, you can see here, these are from different days. The sun is, okay, is inviting to come out. And it's just a beautiful way of starting the day. It fills me with joy.
Well, I really thank all of you for being here today. And I, we're going to finish up with our service.